Hey guys, thanks for joining me for this 50-second episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. Special guests for this episode include baseball writer from the Wall Street Journal, Jared Diamond, got a brand new book we'll be talking about. We'll also visit with country singers, Nash Villians. We'll also have from Good Morning America, Dr. Jennifer Ashton talking about the book, The New Normal. We'll also visit with country singer, Frankie Justin, and the legendary Jeannie Seeley. Of course, if you would, please take the time to subscribe, drop a like, comment, leave some feedback, and share with your friends. Now, I already knew that ordering pizza three times a week was not the healthiest lifestyle choice, but this definitely makes it feel more real. A new study at the University of Iowa found that eating out or ordering too much delivery might actually be killing you. Now, we've known for a long time that restaurant food is full of salt and butter and high in calories. That's why we like it. But researchers drilled down by tracking 35,000 people who eat a lot of restaurant food. Now, everyone in the study said they ate at least two meals a day from restaurants, so almost all of their meals. And they found that people who did it that much have a 49% higher risk of premature death. They were also 65% more likely to die of cancer. Now, they didn't say what they think a safe amount of restaurant food is when it comes to your diet, but for most Americans, the answer is try to eat less of it. Or look for restaurants with healthier options. She has spent uh, time as the chief medical correspondent on ABC News, Dr. Jennifer Ashton. We're going to talk about the new normal, and it's actually the name of a book we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, first off, Dr. Ashton, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. And the, the new normal, that's what we've all been kind of waiting to find out what that is. And uh, what a year it has been, Dr. Ashton. And uh, for when did the idea or the process start for writing of the book, if you will? Well, I think I realized pretty early on uh, in 2020 that this was, um, you know, the biggest story of the century, the biggest story in the world. It happened to be a medical story. And, um, you know, I found myself really, um, in addition to speaking to the country's top uh, infectious disease experts and public health officials, I found myself really explaining to viewers and patients how to think like a doctor. And I realized that that was really important in helping people assimilate all this information that was coming at this fast and furious pace so that, you know, we could avoid medical whiplash. And um, that's when I realized that it was probably going to be my most important book ever written. Um, and I decided I wanted to really help people learn to think like a doctor so they wouldn't be subjected to the medical headline whiplash and they could um, use the new facts that we continue to learn about this virus to help make the best decisions for themselves and their families. And you talk about thinking like a doctor, and obviously a doctor, as new evidence is presented, has to change diagnoses as well. And do you think maybe that has led to maybe some of the confusion or, or misunderstandings people have had over the last year? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, the way that this um, information has been communicated um, in many cases did damage to that trust. And that's because 
it wasn't conveyed to people that in medicine and science, we learn more every single day. You know, we're still studying the drug aspirin, even though it's been out for, you know, Mm -hmm. quite a long time to say the least. Um, And so it, you know, words like at this time, what we think we know, or, you know, let me explain why masks are not recommended in March and February of 2020. And then in April they were, um, you know, in many cases was not done effectively. And so people do lose trust. And I think that the reason for that is because there are a lot of smart doctors that have administrative positions, but if you don't take care of real patients, um, sometimes that type of communication um, can cannot be, um, you know, done in the best way. And I think there were a lot of missteps in communication um, by, by some very smart people, um, unintentional, of course, but I think that did hurt people's understanding and confidence in, in our medical and scientific system. And Dr. Ashton, as we look towards a new normal, I mean, how much is our mental health going to play a part in whatever that new normal is? I mean, obviously, our mental health, I think, is probably one of the the largest things that's been affected. Oh, no question about it. And, you know, we've been talking about that on uh, all our ABC platforms since the beginning. I've been discussing it a lot on GMA3, What You Need to Know, uh, our daytime show, you know, you can't have a healthy body without a healthy mind and spirit. And mental health professionals have been warning that uh, mental illness will be kind of the second pandemic. Mm. Um, and I think that we unfortunately have this attitude that if you can't see something, it's less serious. And that's just not true. So I think that that's a really important aspect to this. And I've looked at the whole country as if it's one big patient, really. And anyone who takes care of real patients knows that, you know, you have to address them from the neck up as well as the neck down or, or you can't help them get better. That's right. And and as things start to open up in whatever semblance that happens and, and it's going slower than we all expected in the in the beginning part, mm-hmm. what are some of the, the main key focus points that folks have to still be mindful of as, as we reopen, if you will? Um, well, I think the first thing is that you know, we all have to be grown-ups, right? We have to behave <laughs> responsibly. We have to err on the side of caution. We can't necessarily do what we want to do all the time, but instead what we should do. You know, that's what being a grown-up means. And um, what's unique about this virus and this pandemic is that it's not just about endangering our own health. It's about endangering those around us. And so, you know, you can say, well, I've been vaccinated so. I don't need to do X, Y, or Z anymore. But for now, you do. It doesn't mean forever, but it means for now, temporarily. So, um, you know, that's that's an important thing to keep in mind. And I think also we have to go through risk-benefit, which I take people through in the book, The New Normal, which is, you know, what's the risk of wearing a mask when you go out? I mean, I know it's annoying or it's unpleasant or whatever, but is there really a risk? No. Um, where there are definite benefits, right? There are real benefits right. to you, to others around you. So for now, that's an example of what, you know, acting responsibly means because 
we do have a big light at the end of the tunnel that we're finally seeing, and we don't want to take one step forward and three steps back. <laughs> That's for sure. And uh, again, the, the new normal, D- Dr. Ashton, how much do you put pressure on yourselves as you as you get ready to release the book? And do you get concerned as you get ready to release about all of the information in as uh, being as current as it possibly can? Well, first of all, I, um, you know, I'm on national television every mm-hmm, single day mm-hmm. and I obviously take it incredibly seriously. Um, so I double check things and triple check things. And that's why I've been living and breathing and fully embedded <laughs> in this story for over a year now. Um, but in the book, you bring up a really important point, which is, you know, I wrote the book in August and September of 2020, but I knew they would be coming out now. So I deliberately, um, did not put, you know, that much in the book that could be time stamped mm. because, as I said, we continue to learn every single day about this virus. And so I deliberately did not want the book to be potentially, quote, out of date, right. which is why I say that the goal of the book is really just to help people learn how to think like a doctor because then you can assess new information and it's not, oh, oops, now we know that that's not true. Um, These are big picture philosophies, if you will, um, that are useful and important for people to know just not just so they can navigate COVID, but really anything. That's right. And again, The New Normal, uh, the the book by Dr. Jennifer Ashton. And Dr. Ashton, I always want to make sure and let our listeners know where to find more information, not only about the book, but then all the social media as well. Oh, definitely go to my Instagram. Thanks for asking. It's at DRJ Ashton. Um, and I try to answer as many questions as I can. I run my Instagram, not, uh, not an assistant or a team of people. So it's really me. And I, I find that people are really nice and ask great questions on Instagram. Um, but not so nice on Twitter. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I stay to the nice one. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, it has truly been a privilege to have the chance to visit with you. I hope you have a great rest of your week and looking forward to spending some more time with the book myself. Oh, thanks so much. Enjoy it and be well. For all our foodies out there, there are 350 different types of pasta, somewhere around that, but some people out there still can't find a single one that meets all their needs. So if you haven't heard about this, a guy named Dan Pashman runs a food podcast called The Sporkful. He decided to create the perfect pasta. Now he spent three years researching, he interviewed experts, and went to a place called The Pasta Lab in North Dakota State University where they develop new types of noodles. And after all that, he came up with a shape he says is perfect. It's called cascatelli, which means waterfalls in Italian. The pasta pieces almost look like rainbows with a lot of hollow space on top to hold sauce. Dan set three big criteria for the perfect pasta. How easy is it to get on your fork? How well it holds sauce? And how satisfying it is when you bite into it? And cascatelli was the best noodle for all three. Now, a company called Sfoglini is selling the pasta, but there's a 12-week waiting list if you want to get your hands on it. Our next guest here on the podcast, country singer and songwriter, and I guess you can call him a, a TikTok sensation, maybe? Frankie Justin with us. And Frankie, good to visit with you, brother. And uh, it took a minute to work it all out, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time, brother. Oh, glad to be here. Good to see you today. 
Now, Frankie, tell us uh, 2021 underway, got a new single out there, and uh, how much does the outlook look like this March as opposed to last March for you? You know, it's funny. Last March, uh, for half of the month, uh, I worked, uh, I was really busy. I was only home like 10 days in 2020 from January through March, and the year was going insane. I worked on this movie. I was uh, working on that for a few days. And the day that COVID came and shut everything down, we were on set. Wow. It shut everything down. And, and then after that, like nothing happened for like a whole year. <laughs> <Here we are. laughs> anyway, uh, we progress. I uh, still try to do the best I can with social and shoot TikTok. We've had some videos with a million views and uh, some of my songs as well as the videos have had over a million and a half views and uh, it's still climbing. So <laughs> what's, what is it about TikTok? I, I mean, I know country music is starting to, to get over into TikTok. It, what, when it came out, I don't think any of us thought country music when we thought TikTok. No, I never did. Uh, I think uh, Little Nas X really were like, man, I think we can do something with this. But I think that that really woke everybody up. Uh, just to how you can market a song on TikTok and how um, it's just so easy for the viewer. I mean, think about making a video with one of your favorite songs and uh, just, it could be a goofy video. It could be something that's uh, emotional. It could be like, I have a lot of videos. A lot of people have used it. Uh, like somebody's passed away and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I, I, thanks for using my song, but I'm so sorry. And they like do this like honor thing and like, I don't know. It's really interesting. It's just another thing to um, really uh, have us escape into our phones. <laughs> <laughs> How much have you had to to really work at the social media side of things, especially this last year? I mean, I know that's basically all a lot of artists have had is is the socials and like the uh, the, the Zoom meets, like we're doing now. Yeah, when things are going, uh, unless I'm you know doing a show or um, usually even when I'm on the road. Most days, like most normal days, I'm working on social media at least uh, a couple hours a day, you know, working on stuff because it's a job in itself, you know, these days and everything. And uh, I think it's just uh, if you want to be an artist in today's format and um, have any sort of influence, no matter who you are, you uh, need to have that um, that presence out there. So I've just been working on building it slowly but surely and uh we're getting further along each day. <laughs> now, where did where did music first come in your life? When did you know that music had an extra special place in your life? About a month ago. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, um, I, it's funny. I've been playing music now over ten years. Uh, I can't believe it. I, you know, when I was eleven, I got my first guitar from Johnny Cash's nephew. He sold me it back in Hendersonville, Tennessee, which is right outside of Nashville. And I, my family grew up, we grew up going to Nashville and I grew up traveling with my dad for his business. So I loved, uh, country was the music of the household. It was something that was, and is always a part of me. And, uh, I don't know. It was like, there was just nothing else for, uh, as far as like listening to music and whatnot, like, uh, I just, that was the music of the household. That's what we listened to. Um, so honestly around then I was like, I mean, I can't even, I remember my first big concert, but I'll be honest. I don't even know what my real first concert was. Cause my fam, my parents were such big concert fans and country concerts are great. Cause they're nine times out of 10 family oriented. 
So like I'd be at fairs and I'd be seeing people like Lone Star. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I remember my first real one with Flats and Taylor Swift opening up for them. But, um, you know, I just, I was exposed to music my whole life. And so I don't know, it just kind of, it just kind of intertwined in my life a lot. It's it's a terrible way to explain it. Now, when was it that you decided to sit down and how old were you when you wrote your first song? I was 11. Uh, wrote my first song. Uh, always had fun. Just, uh, I don't know. I just uh, was 11, started writing, and I didn't stop. You know, I said, I want to do this. And luckily, being able to go to Nashville, my dad's saddle company was right outside of there. I got to go grow up and uh, I got to play in a lot of the venues and people have been giving me chances and they uh, still been giving me shots ever since. So it's been uh, pretty cool. Now, where's your favorite venue to play so far? Uh, see, I get to ask that a lot. And that's a really hard question because there's so many great places. I've had great experiences. My favorite show ever so far was probably with, I got a couple, but one is with low cash. Um, I got to open up for those guys and uh, I'm still, you know, it's cool. Like I can shoot them a text and they'll hit back and they're just great guys. And um, it's so funny now. Cause you know, you listen to these guys on the radio, you're like, man, I want to be like them someday. Then you walk up to them somewhere in Nashville. They're like, what's up, Frankie. <laughs> and, like, that's cool. Um, that's been a pretty cool experience. Guys like that. Um, favorite venue. Oh, that's a hard one. Cause I have a few. Um, I'm playing Texas here in a few weeks. That'll be really fun. I always love playing Texas. Mm -hmm. That's fun in the West. Um, Oklahoma. I haven't played Oklahoma. I think Dell City was uh, one of my last places I played in Oklahoma. It was. It's been a little bit, but um, that's Oklahoma City is always a fun spot. Um, man, I really run around this question, but I have a couple. <laughs> always play. Nashville is my favorite town spot. I can't pick a venue, but I love Nashville. Tootsie's is always fun. That's one of my favorites. Now, the Wild Horse for me, I've been there and seen people play at that. Have you played at the Wild Horse? I haven't. Uh, I have friends who've played it. Uh, I've actually never been into the Wild Horse. You know, I've about, I don't know, quite a few friends who've played it. I don't know. I just never um, met any of those people. Uh, hopefully down the road, I'll be able to, you know, it's got some cool history with Al Dean and whatnot. But um, hopefully soon here, I'll be able to um, uh, play that one, too. Now, CMA Fest obviously canceled this year. How did that kind of maybe change your uh, your goals for 2021? I mean, obviously, that's an opportunity for some of the newer artists to get up close and personal with some fans that they don't have an opportunity otherwise. Yeah, you know, it's it's been rough. Like, I got, I'm lucky. I booked about, I still have like 30 shows for this year, which is a lot more than last year already. Yeah. So we got that. Uh, this year has been interesting. <clears throat> just because uh, I usually play a lot of fairs, a lot of festivals like CMA Fest. Uh, we, we do CMA Fest every year up until last year and this year, of course. But um, it's just it's hard on the fans. It's hard on the artists. And uh, uh, not, I mean, here's the thing. Everybody, you know, we got to be responsible and we got to do what we have to do at the end of the day because of the um, just massive crowds and whatnot. But um, we miss it. You know, how it affected my goals is just, uh, book as many shows as I can and really hone in on my social media presence, you know, and focus on radio and focus on, uh, what can I work on? What can I, <clears throat> I think that's kind of where everybody's head is at. 
you know, it was like, okay, we can't go out and play live show to people. What <clears throat> different, unique, creative ways can we get to the people? <laughs> We've had so much time to ourselves. You, I, I know you talked about really working on the social. What have you worked on craft-wise? Was it instrument or maybe vocal or maybe a little little of all of that? Honestly, Cameron, I, I've been listening to songs and going into the studio. I've just been, uh, you know, I'm a writer, but I um, I really like it when somebody else comes, uh, somebody who's a little bit better than me behind the pen and can uh, hear a song that I really like. Uh, so I've been listening to it you know, a lot of songs from some friends of mine back in Nashville and, um, been writing, you know, obvious as much as I can. It's uh, kind of funny. I got some pop guys who are writing with me now and, uh, <laughs> just kind of coming up with something different. I- I'm like, Hey, let's write something that you would write and you would pitch pop and let me make it country. Cause I'm good at that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't see a lot That's, of pop in you. No, no, it, it's, <laughs> it's, Really, that yeah, I'm very, very country. You just look at me, you're like, that boy's misplaced. I go to New York for a bit. Sad, like I, I was working on this show a couple years ago, and I went to a Shake Shack in Oklahoma. Not to digress, but this is a really funny story. So I go, I'm on lunch break, I walk into this place, and I'm just talking how I talk, and it's funny because you know everybody. up here and whatnot in Northeast is like, you have a Southern accent. And I'm like, I don't know about that. I just (laughs) grew up going all these different, a me thing. So anyway, I don't have a hat on. I'm just like full on, like for this show, that's not looking like me, anything. And so I go and order a hamburger and the girl's like, you ain't from around here. Are you boy? (laughs) (laughs) And so anyway, that was funny. But, um, yeah, I've been writing a lot. Yeah, I forgot the question, Cameron. I'm sorry. <laughs> the vote was it vocals or maybe instrumentation you've been working on the most over the last year? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. I uh, got a new guitar recently, so I've been having fun just learning a bunch of different little riffs and different chords. Um, and then I, I just try to keep my voice in tune all the time. You know, uh, I'm always warming up. I'm always doing exercises and. Uh, trying to keep it up you know we've been having some shows uh this spring which has been nice not a ton but still some so i'm really happy about that and uh it's been fun to get out there so that's good now now frankie if folks want to keep up with your upcoming dates i know you do have some of those available upcoming singles and uh, and other releases as well social media wise where's the where's the best place to keep up with you brother uh, yeah, you can go to uh, Spotify. Uh, is, you know, uh, the music is at Facebook for upcoming dates. I post them all up on Facebook. My website is frankiejustin.com, uh, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Frankie Justin Music. And uh, that's where you guys can uh, find me and where I'm at. Man, normally I'm always going somewhere and it's like, oh, he's here today. Oh, it's here. <laughs> I just love to travel right now. Just being able to uh, go out, travel, uh, meet new people. That's good stuff. Well, Frankie, it has been great to have the chance to visit with you today, man. I appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule, and hopefully we can catch up whenever you get back out this way on the road, and uh, have a great rest of your week, brother. Hey, Cameron. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for playing the single. I appreciate it, man, and uh, I love your dog behind you. I know people can't see this, but the dog behind you is just awesome.
Well guys, nothing says romance like sending your new girlfriend to the accounts receivable department. A woman just posted a story on Reddit's Relationships channel about her first romantic weekend away with her new boyfriend. As they were planning, he sent her a spreadsheet, quote, literally breaking down the cost of everything to the cent, telling me I owed him $167.99. I would happily have just given him $200 to cover my share of the weekend. Now he's an accountant, so I get that he kinda does spreadsheets for a living, but this has ruined the vibe of the weekend for me. I'm his new girlfriend, not a client to send an invoice outlining every cent. Am I right to feel this is weird and unreasonable? So is that a red flag? Now not all of the respondents are taking her side. I mean most of them are, but some people are giving the guy the benefit of the doubt. One person said, quote, she's with him because she likes him so far. He seems like a bit of a dork, but honestly, there are much worse things. He probably just needs to chill out a touch. Writing for the Wall Street Journal, we've got Jared Diamond got a brand new book to talk about. Swing Kings, as the baseball scene is upon us and uh, the home run revolution. Jared, first off, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about the the explosion of the home run ball in baseball. And I mean, do, do you think it's for the, the good of the game in the long run? Yeah, that's sort of the million dollar question. There's, there's no question about it that uh, Major League Baseball today is smarter and more sophisticated than it's ever been. We know more about how baseball works than we have, we've ever known before because of analytics and because of data. And it's led to in many ways, this emphasis on power, power on the mound and power at the plate. And it's created a game where every pitcher throws 100 and every hitter is looking to try to hit the ball in the seats on every single swing. And I don't think there's any question that that is a better way to play baseball in terms of winning baseball games. But that doesn't mean it's a more entertaining product for fans. And let's not forget that baseball and all sports are an entertainment product First and foremost, so what baseball is dealing with internally is trying to figure out uh, not what is sort of the best way to play baseball, but what is the product that we want to put on the field for our fans? And do we as an industry need to step in and do things or change the way the game is played, try to cut down on strikeouts, try to incentivize contact? To this point, Major League Baseball has been reluctant to do it. Baseball does not like opening up the hood and tinkering. They like to say, well, baseball has a way of sort of working itself out. Uh, but what we're seeing now is completely unprecedented with the number of home runs and the number of strikeouts. And it does make you wonder if, if Rob Manfred and, and his group do have to sort of go in there and say, we need to make some changes to make the game more fun. For you, do you think uh, that the baseball itself has been changed? I know there's been huge debates over this over the last years. Do you think the baseball has changed, or you just think that the emphasis of the the go for it all every at bat is uh, is to play in that? Uh, it's a it's a combination. There's no question about it. Uh, we go back to December of 2019 when Major League Baseball had commissioned a panel of scientists to try to study the home run surge and draw some conclusions about what was happening and why it was happening. And that group made it up of some really smart people, well smarter than anyone, you know, anyone I know in baseball. <laughs> they, they concluded that 60% of the home run surge was attributable 
to the baseball itself being more aerodynamic. So there's no question that the ball has changed. They attributed the other 40%, however, to what they described as a change in launch conditions, which is just a really fancy way of seeing of saying how batters swing the bat. So really it's two things are coming together that's led to this home run surge. And it's that second part, uh, that change in launch conditions, how batters swing, that interested me as I went about writing Swing Kings. But there's no question that the two things have worked in tandem. And for you, I know you followed around with Aaron Judge, J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner, and, and Josh Donaldson in the work on the book. I mean, was it a labor of love? Uh, I, I mean, somebody's got to do it, though, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. This was, uh, this was a story <laughs> that I absolutely wanted to pursue. It actually started as an article in the Wall Street Journal back in spring training in, in 2017 when I got to meet guys like Josh Donaldson, Justin Turner, and wrote about sort of their incredible changes to their swings and how they went about of remaking their careers. And after I wrote that story in March of 17, it was clear to me right away that there was still more to tell here, that this was just uh, the tip of the iceberg as to what was really going on in baseball. And it led me to want to set out and really write an in-depth look as to why baseball is the way it is right now. This is a story about an industry that's in an incredible state of transition. And it really was a, a really great honor for me to be able to tell that story and hopefully shed some insight into why baseball uh, is the way it is as we head into 2021. And Jared, what do you think is the biggest misconception about the home run ball from just the uh, the average Joe <laughs> baseball fan out there? <sighs> I think that people still, well, it's tricky because on the one hand, some people love home runs, right? But there's other people that are like, man, there's too many home runs. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a misconception on both of those, both of those groups that the other group doesn't exist. You know, there's people that love home runs. Like everyone loves it. This is the, this is the best. We love all these home runs. How could anyone not like this? And then there's this other sect of baseball fans. It's like, how could anybody like this without even recognizing, <laughs> hey, maybe there are people that like the way baseball is being played right now. And that's another tricky thing for Major League Baseball to figure out, all right, how do we sort of a, a, appease our purists that don't really like baseball changing at all while also attracting new fans and attracting that younger audience that baseball has lost in recent years? Honestly, I, I'm glad I'm not the one that has to figure it out because it really is a, it's a complicated issue. And uh, I believe that Rob Manfred is doing the best he can to try to figure it out. But anytime baseball makes any changes, guess what? You have this loud group of sort of quote unquote purists that lose their mind about <laughs> any single change that baseball tries to make. That's right. Now, Jared, as we head into the 2021 season, I mean, how much different is your anticipation of the new season? Well, I'm just really excited we're going to get, fingers crossed, not to jinx it a regular season, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a 60 game baseball season is just not enough. It's just not enough. That's <laughs> not a baseball season. 162 is a baseball season. And I think everyone is very encouraged by how well spring training has gone. There was so much concern that we were going to see massive COVID-19 outbreaks in spring training. We have not. Uh, cases have been incredibly low around the league throughout spring training. I think there's a lot of optimism that the season's going to sort of go off without a hitch for the most part. So I'm just thrilled that there's going to be fans back in attendance and that, uh, look, 2021 in baseball, just like 2021 in America is not going to be completely normal, 
but it's definitely going to be a big step back toward normalcy. And I know that's what I'm most excited about as we head to opening day on Thursday. That's right. And again, the book Swing Kings, the inside story of baseball's home run revolution. Jared, I always want to make sure and let folks know where they can find more information about the book and then everything you've got going social media wise as well. Yeah, Swing Kings available uh, now everywhere. It just came out in paperback this week, uh, having been on hardcover uh, for the last year. Also available in audiobook and digital book, uh, wherever books are sold, as they say. And, you know, follow me on Twitter. I'm just at Jared Diamond. Easy to find. I'll, you know, it's a big time of year for me as a baseball writer with opening day two days away. So you check it out there. And I hope that people check out the book and enjoy it. All right. Well, Jared, it's been great to visit with you this morning. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Get a little bit of rest between some baseball games. Thanks so much. Have a great one. All right. We all know that the main reasons people want to start exercising more. They want to get in better shape, feel healthier, lose a few pounds, and look better when they're wearing a bathing suit. But those aren't the only reasons. A new survey asked people to share everything that motivates them to exercise, and here are some of the less popular but totally valid reasons. Number one, I have a school reunion coming up. Number two, I want to post about my workouts on Instagram. Number three, I want to get back at childhood bullies. Number four, I want to beat my friend's scores on an exercise app. Number five, I've been comparing myself to celebrities. Number six, I'm starting a new job. Number seven, I want an excuse to buy new exercise clothes. Number eight, I don't like how I look on video calls. Number nine, I want to improve my skin. And the number 10 weird motivation to exercise, I want to be able to reward myself with unhealthy food. Our next guest here on the podcast, country legend and also friend of the show as well, Jeannie Seeley on the line. And Jeannie, always great to visit with you, my friend. Well, I thank you so much. Thanks for always including me. <laughs> and Jeannie got new album, a new single out, uh, an American classic, the album, if you could call it that, the single. And in in the midst of what we've been through over the last twelve months, I mean, Julie, Jeannie, did you see, did you see new music coming out in in the midst of all of this? <laughs> well, it wasn't exactly what we had in mind for. <laughs> For the release of this album, but so I think there's been two sides to it. In one way, it's given me um, being off of the road and not quite as busy. In one sense, it's given me more time to to focus on promoting the album. And the other, Ryan, it kind of hurt. You know, nothing beats that in person, you know, contact with people. But that's one reason we appreciate you all so much when you let us share your airtime with you. And Jeannie, has this last year, I know that you, the, the songwriting for you, has, has the songwriting been harder to find inspiration or has it been been the opposite? I mean, I've, I've talked to people that have had both, both angles. Well, I think coming out of the pandemic, I've just started writing a little bit more. Truthfully, for me personally, the first part, of the pandemic. I think it's been in three stages for me. First part was total shock, like what has happened to the world we live in, you know? 
And so then I turned my focus, well, you never have this much time at home. So just focus on your home and finish projects that you started or do some that you never had time to do. And then I think the last part has been focusing more back on music and getting ready to get back out because we see the end of all of it. So that's been more inspiring. I do think that uh, I'm starting to write a little bit more because I have more time there again. <laughs> I was laughing, though, with Rhonda Vincent the other day. I said, you know, Rhonda, I used to write so much on my bus, you know, because you finish a show, you've still got music in your heart and mind. You get on that bus and start rolling down the road and I think the the you know the steady hum of the motor and the whine of the t- tires and everything just I don't know what it was but I wrote so many songs at night leaving a concert and Rhonda said well hey I'll tell you what I'm working on getting my CDL license and she said I can't drive out on the highway but I'll but come out and we'll drive around my neighborhood. I'll, <laughs> I'll practice driving the bus and you get back there and write. So as funny as it sounds, we just might try that. You know, we came up with one good hit together. So Like I Could was a treasure for me to have a number one bluegrass record I'd never had before. What was what was that like? Were were you was it totally unexpected? Whenever you you got the word of the of the reception of it, or was it one of those songs that whenever you wrote it, you were like something special there? Well, um, it was so unusual the way it came about because I I didn't even pitch the song to her. I wasn't trying to pitch the. We were riding in uh, the back of a limousine together and just talking, and I was telling her that. I had just done my first writer appointment, you know, and all the years I've been writing songs, I never set an appointment with some other writers. I always thought, how can you, how can your, you be sure your mind will think creatively two months from now at two o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> so I was, I was always afraid to try it, but Bobby Tomberlin and Aaron Enderlin said, you can't be intimidated around us. Let's just try it. So when I had the idea for Like I Could, I called them and we set up a, uh, an appointment. I think it was about six weeks before we could get together, but it did just all come together. So I was telling Rhonda this whole story in the back of that limousine, and she said, well, can I hear the song? So I pulled it up on my phone and played it for her. And she said, it sounds like it needs to be on my next album. And then it came off so well, it was released as a single. And Rhonda took it all the way to number one. She's just an incredible artist. And for, for you, Jeannie, as you see the successes, uh, the awards and all that you've had, the accomplishments over the years, do, do you get more satisfaction if you see somebody else being able to take a part of it as well? Well, I don't know that it's more satisfaction. It just, you share that happiness because it's like anything. I I truly believe you can't just enjoy something yourself. Everything's always better if you're sharing it. And so to see some of these young artists, you know, 
winning the awards that I did. And it's like, now you know how I felt. You know, <laughs> that's just how I feel about it. And, of course, with Rhonda becoming my little sister at the Opry now is just such a thrill. And there again, because I want to share all of this with her. <clears throat> There's so many of the young artists coming up that that I'm I'm so proud of and and I you know I I have a problem with the people that say there's no good songs being written anymore and um I can't agree with that I think one of my favorite things that's been written lately is Ingrid Andrus song mm-hmm. More Hearts Than Mine I mean <laughs> that's just such a great great song it just uh encompasses the whole family everything it just has a great message and and Jeannie, you've seen the the music scene evolve and you've seen country music go through its shifts i mean and 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 it seems like every time there's growing pains whenever there's a new music that's kind of brought into the scene but d- don't you appreciate that uh, the the extras that it brings in the extra listeners that it brings into the genre as well i know you've you've got to have an appreciation for that as well oh i do uh, because we've got to keep attracting new fans to our music and uh i mean if you don't then our music's gonna die with all the people who made it along with the people who bought it and listened to it it's just that simple so we must add new fans i feel the same way about the opry the thing with the opry when people um complain about any slight change at the Opry and the way I look at it, what that tells me is the Opry is so revered that any change that comes along, they're just so afraid that it's gonna take away from the Opry. And it's and it's hard sometimes to see some changes that you're not familiar with or that's not just exactly to what you prefer but here again the opry has got to add the new people in order for it to keep going we've been here 95 years and we didn't stay there by not changing with the times we've come a long way since uncle jimmy thompson's lone fiddle and we have got to change with the trends and everybody that comes in brings their own unique style and sound and that's just the way that's just the way it it has to work that's right now the the single if you could call it that uh written by Dottie west steve warner and bobby tomerlin you recorded that with steve warner as well and tell us how this single came to you in the first place well my I call him my adopted little brother, Ron (laughs) Herman, because he truly is a family to me now. We've been friends for so many years. And Ron found this journal and some of Dottie's memorabilia. I think he bought a bunch of stuff at that sale years ago. And he, this idea just struck Ron. So he took it to Bobby Tomberlin who then called in Steve Warner because he said, you worked with Dottie, you spent a lot more time, and we need to finish this the way we feel Dottie would have. And um, so anyway, and I definitely think they did that. For me personally, 
I remember this journal that Ron found goes back to the 60s. And ironically enough, this is what's so funny, Cameron, is on the inside of the cover of that journal, she's got Jeannie Seeley, 8247011, which was my phone number back at that time. So anyway, we felt like that was a meant to be. But through the years, and uh, as, I mean, I won't deny Dottie, like all of us, had our ups and downs. It's called living. And uh, I can remember different times when she was going through different things, when I'd say, how you doing, Dottie? And she'd say, I just go on living, if you can call it that. It was just kind of a saying of hers. So uh, I think that the way the boys wrote this song was absolutely finishing her train of thought. And for for you to record that with Steve as well, I mean, do you think that just added that little bit of authenticity as well to, to Dottie's story, you think? Oh, yeah. It was after I'd recorded the song and we sent uh, the first vocal uh, on it to Steve to see. I said, I want Steve to hear this. And do you think that I phrased the way you intended and all that? He was so knocked out with it and everything. And uh, I said, well, how do you feel about coming in and singing some harmony with me? And he said, I would love to do that. And uh, so anyway, that's how I did it. And, of course, he always brings along his guitar as well. He should. Anymore, a record with Steve Warner without his guitar would be like a Willie Nelson record without Trigger on it. (laughs) So I was uh, double thrilled with that. And I'll tell you personally, I, I don't know how upset I might have been if they wouldn't have let me have that song because it means so much. And I feel I feel kind of like I did when they asked me to sing Here Comes My Baby at the medallion ceremony when Dottie was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I stood back there and looking out at that room, let me tell you, that room is very daunting. Every great producer, artist, writer, everybody's out there looking at you. And all of a sudden, um, my nerves just kind of went away when I thought, you know what? This is not about you, Jeannie. This is about Dottie. This is her moment. And you have been given the gift of finishing what she started had had she not had that accident there's no doubt in my mind that Dottie would have made that journey into the hall of fame on her own but since that couldn't happen I just felt like it was a gift to me that I could finish what she started that's awesome. Well, again, the uh, the, the new single, want to make sure, uh, Jeannie, to let folks know uh, where to find more information, not only about the single, but the, the album and, and all the socials as well, my friend. Absolutely. You know, you can find the single as well as the album on wherever you get your digital music. And for those of you who still, and a lot of my friends and fans still want to have that physical copy in their hand and that's good too. You can go to com, And when I fill the orders, I autograph everything that goes out of my office. That's just a personal touch that I've always liked. 
for me, and so I like to give it to others too. It takes a little more time, but it's sure worth it. So go to com for this album, or uh, you might find some other stuff on there you might <laughs> like. To. I'm sure there's a couple of things there, right, Jeannie? <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've got several albums on there. Of course, my book that I wrote years ago, it was just a collection of thoughts through the years that when I sold my tour bus and was off the road more, I that was the first project. I put them all together in a book. It's called Pieces of a Puzzled Mind. It says you can't judge a book by its author. So that gives you. Give you a little hand how serious it is. And speaking of Dottie West, she called them celiisms. She'd say <laughs> all of my different thoughts. She used to say I keep a stack of those books on the corner of my desk and when I want to send somebody a a thank you note, I send them one of your books. So that was a another special thing. I am so honored, truly, to be able to do to record this song. And I think I'm hearing from people as they listen to I just go on living, if you could call it that. They're interpreting it to their own lives, whether it was struggling getting through the pandemic. Unfortunately, the loss of family members. I got a very nice letter from one lady who said that I just identify I lost my son. And that's what I'm doing. I just go on living, if you can call it that. So it's coming. It's it's helping people through a rough time, I think. That's right. Well, Jeannie, a fan of the, not only the new single, but for so many years, uh, been following everything you've done. It's always uh, such a privilege to have some time with you. I appreciate your time. Look forward to catching up again real soon as well, my friend. Well, I thank you. It's always good to hear from you. Stay in touch, and we'll just keep talking to people. And I want to take the opportunity to thank all the folks that have supported me all these years out there. And I always like to say, don't quit now because we're not ready. Now, as a pet owner, wouldn't this sting just a little bit? Well, a couple in England recently found out their neighbors were moving and their house was up for sale. So out of curiosity, they looked it up on a real estate site to check out photos of the inside and they found out their own cat had been living a double life. In a photo of one of the bedrooms, their cat Freddy was stretched out on the bed making himself right at home. They say they knew he'd gone inside the neighbor's house before but didn't realize he was basically living there part time now and it might not be the only neighbor he's cheating with. They say other people on their street see him all the time too and call him by different names. So he could be secretly living three or four different cat lives. All right, guys, our next guest here on the podcast, uh, Nashville songwriters, uh, producers, uh, a little bit of everything, musicians as well, Brett Boyette, Troy Johnson, Scott Lindsay, and uh, they make up the group, and I totally went totally blank on. It, it should be easy to remember the Nashvillians. They're Nashvillians. Nashvillians, yeah. Nashvillians. I just got to flip the A and the I. Nashvillians. Yeah. That, that makes even more sense. I've been pronouncing it the wrong way all week. Sorry about that. Well, I'm glad we were able to correct that. <laughs> 
Now tell us how did uh, how did the group come about? I mean, and and the sound obviously it's got a, a twinge of the rock and roll influence, the country influence. Uh, when did you guys originally hook up? You want to answer that, Brad? Or yeah, yeah, that's a question I, for these guys. Yeah, sure. Um, I was doing a movie uh, in uh, in L.A. I was living in L.A. I was doing a movie called Forever My Girl. And Scott had come out there to write with me uh, through a friend of ours, Tim Gates, um, to work on a song for the movie. And uh, we started talking and I was like, hey, I'm moving back to Nashville and uh, I've got this. Uh, there's a singer I'm working with that I've been working with on the movie who's great. Um, and uh, it turned out Scott knew the singer as well. And he's like, I said, I said, his name is Troy Johnson. Scott's like, well, I'll, Hey, who, who, yeah, he, <laughs> he played me a demo. I said, "Who's that singing?" He goes, "That's that's Troy. That's yeah. who I want to start the band with." Yeah, I said, "Troy Johnson." He goes, "Yeah." I said, "Well, he writes right across the hall from me." That's <laughs> right. the same company. Yeah. It's the same publishing company. Yeah. So um, I just said, you know, I've got this idea for a band. It's like a dark country kind of rock, cinematic country mix. Uh, I've got this name, Nash Villains. And, uh, you know, I was going to think about uh, asking Troy to be the, the lead vocalist for us if he's interested. He's like, well, hell, I know Troy. We can go call him together. Yeah, and talk call him right now. Three of us will do it. You know? <laughs> it was organic as that. I mean, it just kind yeah. of sort of fell together in that way. And, um, you know, we approached uh, Troy with it. And he was like, oh, hell yeah, man. I, I love you guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting on your call. It was, uh, we kind of just discussed it. We wrote a couple songs. We said, let's just see how it goes. And we got together and we wrote, I think the first one was a song called Dare to Catch Me. And then the second one was our new single called Tumbling Down. And we, and we said, this is kind of a thing. This is kind of just works. Uh, and just the, the differences in our backgrounds of musical influences. And we all have uh, Scott's, you know, more, I would say more of a bluegrass, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky mm -hmm. boy background troy's got a lot more blues and rock and stuff like that and country of course we all have country and i come from more it comes of a, from glam rock glam right. rock right <laughs> i do both yeah. hair bands so i put some yeah. sparkle yeah. on the top <laughs> uh, i come from you know i was scoring movies and stuff like that so it was, i come from more of that that kind of world as well as country and, and writing country. yeah well that's so. mainly how it started was we were talking about you know how to get some some songs into into the the sync world and the movies movies and tv and with brett coming from that uh that place uh it seemed really uh reasonable and and uh, profitable to, to to do that so that's kind of where we start our focus musically was on more um uh you know broader uh you know, just a cinematic style, you know, songwriting where, which was actually not something that I had really ever done. You know, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I grew up musically in Nashville and, you know, everything was, uh, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say formulaic, but you know, it's, a, it's more of a puzzle and it's a story. So, you know, you have to connect A to B and B to C and then hopefully, you know that hook will pay off and yeah. you know writing for a a a movie or a or a tv is a lot different and you have to use broader language and it's, more general. it's a, yeah, yeah and it's a it was kind of a learning curve so but i think what's interesting is that we we were we've been able to bring you know that side of the cinematic world into a more uh uh you know songwriting country element and hopefully uh you know, it, it pays off in the end. And I, yeah. we've really enjoyed trying to marry those mm -hmm. two worlds. Yeah. 
And Scott, for you, Troy talked about the cinematic writing. I mean, how how much different? How is it harder? Is it easier? Which uh, which one can confounds you the most? Well, I think it's easier actually. Uh, well, once you get once you get your mind thinking that way, because uh, I'm like Troy, I always came from the very formulatic, uh, you know, Nashville songwriting. You know, everything very structured. But one, but once I started thinking. Uh, uh, less structurally and more in general. Well, that's terms. the hard part. It's, uh, yeah, once you start thinking that way and you get used to it, uh, it I actually think it's easier. Yeah, right. In this, well, way. I think you can take. You know? I mean, I, de- I definitely think you can take more chances <laughs> with with uh, mm-hmm. things like. I mean, I, I know you know a lot of stuff I've done. You can do tempo changes. You can do key changes. You can yeah. do a lot of stuff. Use chords you would never really use. And I think that's the, the fun country. part is that you can you can paint outside of the the country box a little bit more in what we're creating, you know, when you're like, but but at the same time, I remember when we were writing a couple of the first songs, you know, Mm. you know, we would come up, I would come up with a lyric that I really liked and it kind of dug in a little bit, you know, had some, it had some meat on it as we would say. Mm. And, and Brett would go, well, you can't say that. I'm like, what do you mean you can't say that? But that's what the story is. Yeah. Yeah, he says too specific. I'm like, well, crap. I mean, (laughs) but that's what I'm trying to say. So so we had to write all this stuff generally specific. That's what it is. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's easier to write for film TV for me. It's it's just just a different mindset. It's like, it's just, it's flipping your mind to writing a different way. Because, I mean, it's, it's also having to write more of an emotional context in my opinion. Maybe easier is not to write more. I found myself being more comfortable with it. Yeah. 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 Well, I think what you might be talking about is because you don't have the, the strict lane Mm -hmm. of, you know, I'm writing a story and it's got to make sense and it's got to be believable and it's got to be, you know, in, in common language where you're not, you're not, you you can sort of, it's easier in the sense that you're not bounded by certain rules. Blur the lines a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cameron, we're gonna, sit, we're gonna sit, just sit here and argue amongst ourselves. Yeah, nod my head. It's all good. No. <laughs> I don't know what happened to my camera. I'm gonna have to uh, figure see, that out. I so, didn't want to yeah. say anything because uh, yeah. you know nobody wants to see how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. I, my, my camera was working earlier. This <laughs> our sausages. Wait a minute. Shut <laughs> up. There we go. I don't know what happened. I must have. I must there have. We go. Oh, we got you. Now, Brett, a question for you: with with all the uh, the streaming platforms, Netflix, uh, all all of those, do you think that that's making the opportunity for music and uh, what you guys are talking about? Is it making those opportunities a little easier right now? Hundred percent. Well, I don't know about easier, but at yeah. least the opportunities yeah. are great. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's so hard to get on radio it's actually created another format of, uh, of distribution for, for artists and they're, you know, for Netflix and, and Netflix and all these uh, different uh, platforms are so popular. Now you can have a huge musical career by having a hit on a TV show or having a, you know, a big placement as a main title theme or a credit theme on a movie or whatever. I mean, a lot of those things can launch bands. I think one of the ones I always remember is, is Evanescence. Nope. the daredevil movie uh which i love that song you know uh like that kind of thing happens i think more a lot more uh a lot more now you know in general but i, I definitely think that 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 does 
create another yeah content 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 it's, that's just all that's what it's about these days yeah. you know it's like real estate location location yeah. location there's nothing more important than content the more content you have the more views yeah. you're going to get and the more popularity you may you may get and yeah. and you know just the we live in an age where the opportunity for the individual is just astounding yeah, I mean, ideally, you know, you're on all platforms. You're on terrestrial radio, you're on streaming, and you're on, uh, you've got movie placements or TV show placements. I mean, all those things is what we're all, we're striving for all those. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. But that's, yeah, that's that, a long answer to say yeah. yes. Everything we do is a long answer, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've noticed that because you all, you, you all answer it amongst yourselves. I just, I, I feel like Mike Myers back on Saturday Night Live, you know, <laughs> I give you a topic and speak amongst yourselves you know <laughs> coffee talk yeah. a little coffee talk that's right uh, now f- for you troy the uh, obviously scott and brett knew each other uh, a little while before uh, before you did to come in did it take a little while to kind of the, the feeling out songwriting process for you guys well, I, yeah, I mean, it, as as always, I mean, still doing it. Yeah, right. We're still yeah. doing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think the prospect of of us, you know, the idea was let's just get together and see if we can come up with something. And and our first song that we wrote is it made the record. So you know, I think that's that says something about you know the chemistry and and how it uh, how it all came about. But yeah, I mean, you you all, I mean. Me personally, I, I've always approached every every opportunity with a with a bit of skepticism and a bit of trepidation, and and it's just in my nature. I mean, my first publishing uh, deal was like, well, okay, well, guys, slow down. Uh, <laughs> let's make sure that let's just make sure I, this is something I want to do. So, you know, that's just that's just part of, that's just built in, and that's something I I have to you know deal with you know literally on a daily basis. You know, I'm always you got to just you got to say yes. You know, just keep saying yes. You know, and things will come. So. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, but it, it, you know, when we first got together, it, 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 it kind of all came together. It was, I mean, literally Brett just started playing a piece of music and I think I started just spouting out words and Scott would, you know, say, how about this? And, and, uh, it, it really came together pretty quickly and we ended up recording it that day. Uh, at that time I had a little studio in East Nashville, um, and uh, that's where we started uh, in, uh, yeah. right? Yeah, I think, and I think we kept a lot of it. So, oh, no, actually, we had to re- replace it. Well, I think, yeah, we did. Well, weeks. And right, right. Yeah. We, we replaced <laughs> things, of course. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, all we did, we just recorded a work day, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like we said earlier, a lot of that stuff, we, we were just writing for film and TV at the time. Yeah. And we started recording here at, uh, at Brett's studio. And people were out in the lobby and they were hearing it and they would poke their heads in. And man, we love that stuff. Yeah, what y'all the can, hell is that? Yeah, y'all can <laughs> thing we're doing on, on the side for film and TV. Oh, oh, y'all can go y'all can have some success with that. Really? Man, that is so different. <laughs> okay. I haven't heard anything like let's, that. Yeah. Let's give her give her a shot, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. Now what's the what's the feedback been like? I know it's been out uh, since the nineteenth, am I right? Uh, yeah, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll have to ask our label. I have no yeah. idea. All the days run together, man. <laughs> I, uh, I have been following the, the feedback. I, I'm terrible on social media. Man, the, 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 the feedback stuff. has been amazing. We've been following people on socials that are that are uh, responding to the songs and mm-hmm. 
a lot of people were saying how this song in particular, Tumbling Down, speaks to them for, because, you know, it's been a tough year for people uh, everywhere. And uh, a lot of people are like, man, this is really, I, I really relate to this with the struggles I've had for the last year. And I've had, I've had a lot of uh, comments like that we've responded to and things like that. So I think it's, it, it is relatable. It's not trying to be dark and depressing, but it is something that's, you know, people I think can, can uh, hang their hat on is this is actually what, how, what the state of the world right now. And this is, yeah, you don't you always know. have, I mean, when things are dark, you don't always have to write a song that, that says buck up, you know, yeah, you, can, yeah. you can, you can live within the, the, like I, 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 I remember a long time ago. I mean, I, one of my first records I did when I was, you know, younger and, 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 it was titled in a lonely place and and that's how i felt at the time and one of my uh you know my aunt was going through a hard time and and like all the songs were were you know depressing and you know i was it was like young young man angst and yeah, you know yeah. and she was like i listened to that over and over and over again and it got me through a hard time you know so when you write a song, you just have to be real. You just have to be, yeah. you know, willing to admit where you are. You don't have to always say, yes, it's dark, but isn't there a silver lining? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's not, you know, nobody wants to hear that. When people are sad, they just want to be sad. Yeah, Misery I, loves company. I so. do think when, when stuff's authentic, people attach to it. Right, and I, and right. they, they, they actually like me. I, I get it. I get what you guys are saying. And we're also trying to say something. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of times, uh, no, not, Name, name any artist or anything like that. But a lot of times people just put out songs and it's just a cool thing to yeah. put out country lyrics. And right. it's like, we're, we're trying to say something. I think, yeah. we're, I think yeah. we're actually trying to make a point and actually, you know, actually tell a story and actually, and I, and I think mm -hmm. a lot of that comes from our own personal experiences and putting that into the music and not just writing something. And we're writing for us. Right. We're not writing for other artists. We are writing right. for us. Right. Which I will say that's more difficult in my mind. I mean, yeah. when I when I write for other people, it's a little easier because I don't have to necessarily sing it the rest of your life. Well, no, not that. <laughs> not that. I don't I don't have to reveal myself as much. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. not as, quote unquote, scary. Yeah. So anyway, it, it is uh, it is a process for sure. Yeah. It's personal, but on a different level is what you're saying, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to be real, but I don't have to be real about me necessarily. I just have to be real about life. Yeah. And I think, you know, as far as this, if any kind of music that or any kind of songs that I write personally, I, I at least try to put some meat on the bone. I don't yeah. want it to be just it doesn't do anything. It doesn't make me it, it does. I, I'm not proud of it if it doesn't have some sort of meat on the bone, meaning you gotta it's, let yourself feel the it's, feeling. It's well, gotta you know. say something, yeah. you know. Right. And a lot of times, when you're in the writing room, you're like, "Okay, that's great, but what's the point? Yeah. That's great, but but why?" He you says know? that to me a lot. <laughs> that's great, but, but we're not going to use it. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, this this last year, did do you think it helped you guys as a result of all the time to kind of uh, be introspective? Do you think it kind of helped you guys grow together, maybe a bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we had to find ways to work together through the pandemic mm -hmm. and stuff. And, you know, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It was difficult the whole time. I mean, everybody yeah. found it difficult. Yeah. My person, I can't stand Zoom rights. So yeah. um, well, I, I didn't do yeah. I didn't do a lot of that at all. And it, it was it, most of what we did last year was probably try to develop more social media yeah. avenues and and maybe develop ideas uh, musically. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, and finish up the record. Which we would we definitely be to coming together more. I mean, we're, we're coming together great, but we should be coming together more if we were in a, you know in a bus on tour and yeah. playing the crowds and seeing and seeing our fans. Yeah, once we get back to that point, I, will say I think efficiency is going to. Yeah, I will say this because we haven't been able to tour and play with a full band, and everything we've done live has been acoustic. Yeah, I, I think. That's that's. I think we've jealous. become better musicians. Yeah, you know. Well, we're yeah. definitely getting uh, better at just the three of us playing together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are are you getting better at getting along yet? That's the question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think yeah. I think we we get along great. I I, I think there's yeah. there, there, there's some some of course there's disagreements and there's just like any band, you know, we've got three strong personalities mm-hmm. uh, from different perspectives and different backgrounds. I mean. You know, I mean, and a couple of big mouths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Troy's got a couple of thumbs pointing the other yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we're also all coming from places where we're we were in control of our careers ourselves. Yeah, that's been and, that. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. very good point because and, that, yeah. that's that's been an adjustment. Yeah. for me personally. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. now it's like because I've always been a solo a artist, kind of. You know, I've always been the guy oh, that I, yeah. I, you know, yeah, my own uh, thing. But you know, I, I do find that I, I can play a cog in the wheel pretty well. You know. Yeah. yeah. So. It's a very loud cog, though, right, guys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I get to yeah. I get to be the yeah. front cog. <laughs> yeah. no, and I think I think what also makes this this band works. I think everyone's pretty comfortable in their roles, and we all pretty much know what each other does in this band, and no one's stepping on anyone else's toes. Yeah, so sense. far we're able to appreciate each other's lane. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Talk to us in a year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So so along the, those lines, what what is it specifically that each of you you think that you bring more maybe th- to the plate that maybe one of the others doesn't? And I'm not it's not a you oh, know, wow. competition wise. Oh, you know, oh, oh, yeah. here we go. Oh, I think well, you're I'm going. Don't oh, come on that. He wants a headline splash. Yeah. I got well, I'm wraps. a I'm a eye can. <laughs> yeah. Let's just get that out there. Yeah, I can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. We've yeah, had, we definitely designated him eye can. We were like, man, we need some eye of course, <laughs> uh, well, I'd say Troy's for sure the voice. I mean, yeah. I think that's you know he's a, he's a well-known singer in Nashville, and um, I think that's you know that's that's besides being a great writer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think everyone's a, a pretty accomplished writer in this band. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say, I mean, I'm I'm not going to speak for you, but I I guess I am speaking for you. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, no, we can. It's easily broken down. I mean. Uh, um, uh, superficially, Brett produces. Uh, we all write. I sing. We all sing. Uh, Scott brings writing and, and instrument instrumentation to the to the uh, table. Um, uh, but as far as the music production goes, uh, producing the records, I mean, it's it, it's Brett's the last call, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's you know, even though you know, Scott and I have. Uh, projects we've done in the past and 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 producing credits and, and stuff like that from the get-go there has to be one guy that that sort of steers the ship and i got no problem with with brett doing it i mean yeah. i respect what he does and and you know thankfully he doesn't he, he doesn't rule with an iron fist as far as that goes I mean, <laughs> he listens to what i say you know just as much as he listens to what scott says and yeah. you know more times than not he'll be like yeah okay let's at least try that oh. You know, it's not it's not a dictatorship by any means. Yeah. So, well, I think one of the, the 
biggest rules of producing is let people do what they do well. In fact, I might roll yeah. r- rule with a with a. I mean, I might be heavier on. I might. I <laughs> might make. Me. I might make my yeah. cakes harder than yeah. he does. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, when I have an idea. But I mean, yeah. you don't. You don't have a. You don't put a world class singer in a band and not let them do their thing. You don't put a world class guitar player in a band and not let them do their thing. I mean, you guide them. And you kind of steer, like you said, steer the ship a little bit, but you got to let them do their thing. I learned that a long time ago from other producers that I've, I worked with, you know, to kind of learn the craft of producing. Yeah, I remember I talked to Blake Chancey a long time ago. I was in my uh, early 20s and I had uh, I had gotten that Dixie Chicks cut that long time ago. And, and well, okay, not that long ago. I shouldn't say it that way. <laughs> but anyway, I was I was sitting at a bar having a beer with him, and and I would I fancied myself in the production seat, you know, sometime in my in my future, and and I viewed the you know producer as the as the end all be all, and he was the he was the iron fist guy, and his way or the highway, and and Blake was like, Blake was like, man, no, it's a it's a it's not a dictatorship. I mean, I hire these guys to do what they do, and. It, everybody produces it with me. It's not, yeah. you know, and unfortunately I listened to him, but I didn't believe him until later. I walked yeah. away from that going, he doesn't yeah. know anything. I was so cocky. It's, it's back the same there. thing with session players. And we all play, we can all play everything on the record for the most part, mm-hmm. you know, but we hire session guys because they're amazing and they bring something different to the table that we wouldn't think of. And they raise the bar a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, they yeah. raise the bar yeah. an, an unbelievable amount. But I mean, there are yeah. some aspects that we like to keep dirty and raw. I mean, yeah. there, there's some solos on there that 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 you know Brett played when he was, you know, tracking it out and and you know pre-production wise that we replaced. But we were like, that's just too good. I mean, it doesn't have that raw. It's too perfect. It's yeah, too, too perfect. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have any angular things on it. Yeah. You know. It, it's yeah. not interesting. That is kind of one of the things with session guys. They're so good. I mean, that they'll mm-hmm. it'll be so perfect. It's just sometimes I, robotic. Right. You and I mean? will say I'd like for us to, you know, I, I see ourselves, uh, us, you know, kind of going, pulling that back into us a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying it very well, but, you know, I relying that. more on what we do and, and yeah. less on what they do yeah. and just have them. Yeah. Anyway, that, that yeah. that's an internal discussion that we haven't really had yet, Aaron. So, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, mute us for a second. We got a meeting. Right, right. Can, yeah. can, we, can yeah. we get back to you? <laughs> well, Brett, Troy, and Scott, I want to make sure and let our listeners know where to uh, where to keep up with the new music, uh, upcoming dates as those become available, and of course, uh, social media as well. Yeah, um, so we've got nashvillainsband.com is our website. We've got a Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Band. Uh, we've got YouTube, um, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Twitter. It's now, all the social. Hey, it's we're, all the, we're now yeah. on TikTok. Yeah. Oh, we're, no. we're, we're trying it. Man. Yeah, if you want to <laughs> search, is the best way is, is yeah. Nash Villains Band. Yeah. I think if you yeah. search Nash Villains Band, then you, you'll probably find all of our handles and, and stuff easier that yeah. way. Yeah, but we've got and the logo is three skulls with uh, bandanas and yeah. cowboy hats and yeah, we just got intro- not introduced, but we just got accepted to this website called Sessions, and we're going to do some live uh, shows uh, for them in the near future. So um, awesome. we'll uh, yeah, yeah we're, it's just a matter of you know we got to figure out how to keep playing live for people, and 
That's a really good website. I think it was started by uh, the guy, I think the owner Pandora. Yeah, the Pandora yeah. guy started yeah. it, and and there's yeah. a lot of good stuff. I saw they the bare naked ladies yeah. on there. They reached out to us. They found us on online. And- yeah, we were real fortunate that they. Uh, yeah. It's kind of an audition process, and it would it went really quick, and uh, you know they said, hey, you're. Basically, it's like you're good enough to do it. So, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah it, was, it, was, it was kind of strange, but it was interesting at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, we'll be playing live for the people real soon. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. We want to do that. That's that's the big thing. We need to get out there and start playing because we, you know, we really like being on stage. Everybody does. I think this this summer is going to be, you know, crazy that way. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Again, the uh, the Nash villains, Brett, Troy, and Scott, appreciate you guys taking some time to visit with us and uh, let us be a part of your uh, intermittent discussions amongst yourselves, too. <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. Thanks, Cameron. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Have a good one. Well, guys, no one can resist the temptation of becoming a YouTube celebrity. Am I right? Well, there's a 53-year-old guy named Mark Farron Claude Biart who's been on the run from the authorities in Italy since 2014 after he was busted trafficking cocaine for the mafia. Well, it turns out that he's been hiding out in the Dominican Republic and he finally blew his cover when he decided to host a YouTube channel showing off his Italian cooking skills. And even though he never showed his face in the videos, he had unique and distinctive tattoos, so when someone in the Italian law enforcement world spotted him, they realized the cooking show host was Mark. He was arrested on Monday and taken back to Italy. So yeah, maybe being a YouTube celebrity, not in the cards for everybody. Again, thanks for joining me for this 52nd episode in Season 2 of Good Questions with Cameron Dole. If you ever have a comment, a question, or anything else you'd like to know, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at GQ with Cam. If you'd like to help out in the funding for this podcast, click over to the shop tab at gqwithcam.com forward slash shop. And also, if you have a special guest idea, go ahead and email me, gqwithcam at gmail.com. Thanks again to Brandon Allen for coming up with the theme music. We're going to let him play us out. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Tuesday. <laughs>